Today's Gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three o'clock and he did the same. And about five o'clock he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Thank you, Allison. Grace to you and peace. In the Orthodox branch of Christianity, every Easter Sunday, there is a tradition that makes me extraordinarily jealous. The priests never write their own sermon. <laughs> Instead, they give an Easter sermon first given over 1,600 years ago. Now, one might expect the Easter morning sermon to be based on scripture that gives an account of, you know, Jesus getting up out of the grave and appearing to his disciples. But in fact, the Easter morning sermon is about the text we hear this morning. If anyone has labored from the first hour, it begins, let them today receive the just reward. If anyone has come at the third hour, let them with thanksgiving feast. It ticks on through the hours listed in the parable and arrives at this conclusion. The master is gracious and receives the last even as the first. He gives rest to the one that comes at the eleventh hour, just as to the one who has labored from the first. Orthodox Christians 
Look at this story from this morning of a landowner who doles out money lavishly and indiscriminately and see the new life we have in Christ. They see nothing short of resurrection. Now, we often think about resurrection as something that happens only after we die. But these Orthodox Christians remind us that resurrection starts here and now. And if this parable is indeed about living a resurrected life on this earth, then resurrection, new life in Christ, operates by a logic that is strange and foolish. Because this world doesn't go about handing out a full day's pay for an hour's labor. The logic of this world is based on our desire to be in control and to be strong. Now, deep down, we know that this isn't possible, that life is unpredictable, and we're not entirely in charge of our destiny. Yet we long, we long for there to be a sensible order to this world. We want there to be a pattern woven into creation that rewards good behavior and punishes bad where people get what they deserve. The logic of this world tells us that if you work for one hour, you should only get paid for one hour. Pastor Beth leaned over to me during the reading of the gospel and said, this landowner is going to have a hard time filling the early shift tomorrow. And it's true. <laughs> we think that you should get out what you put in. No more. And when it doesn't work out that way, especially when it doesn't work out that way for other people, who boy, can we get mad. Have you ever heard this tirade or maybe gone on it yourself? We say, you know, what's wrong with this country is that we give kids participation prizes when they don't win, and we need to instill in them that you actually need to work hard for success. It's not just handed to you, because the world isn't as kind as your hippie elementary school teachers. <laughs> you know what? Fine. <laughs> Maybe there's a lesson to be learned there about how we can live shrewdly in a broken world that runs or regularly run short on inclusion and mercy. But it sure doesn't look like this parable where a different kind of logic holds the day. Resurrection logic. Living by resurrection logic looks like this parable in which God quite literally gives participation prizes, rewarding everyone not on their performance, but on the simple fact that they showed up at all. Resurrection logic doesn't flee from incompleteness or imperfection or failure. It rejoices in the midst of these things, for it knows that all life, whatever state it's in, is still an incomprehensible gift from God. And it knows that the best way to receive this gift is not to guard it, 
but to live with open-handed delight and wonder. Resurrection logic has tasted death, and it knows that to defy it, you don't just carefully ward death off through a strictly calculated moral and hard-working life. You defy death's power by living with a generosity and joy that borders on foolishness. Living by resurrection logic means that we don't have to be strong or in control. We can instead find God precisely within our limits and our failings, the places we're showing up at the 11th hour instead of the first. And we can trust that our small and imperfect stories are held and redeemed by a God whose lavish grace, which cannot be controlled, is always being loosed over this whole world. Resurrection logic is about God's desire to be an abundant provider for us with grace and mercy and love that never run out. And this logic to us seems too good to be trustworthy. And that's why I think we gather here, not just once a year, but every week. We need to gather around the stories and the words of Jesus because Jesus is the one human who operated only by this resurrection logic. In Jesus, God came to this earth and the powers of evil and suffering threw everything they had at him. Consider what Jesus went through in his short life. He was born poor. He was a refugee to Egypt. He was exiled from his own hometown. And he said he had no place to lay his head at night. The murder of his relative John the Baptism, or Baptist caused him sorrow, and he wept over the death of his friend Lazarus. At every turn, he was challenged by religious and political enemies. His own friend betrayed him. He was tortured and humiliated, mocked in public while his friends abandoned him. On the cross, he felt that he had been forsaken by God, and he died in agony. His life was filled with weakness, and it was interrupted by forces larger than himself. The logic of our world could look at this small life and see failure. But resurrection logic can give us a different glimpse of what Jesus was all about. Because amidst all of this misfortune, Jesus remained open to God's grace meeting him right there. And Jesus was able to let that grace transform the hurt that was dealt to him. And so Jesus' life was not only a life of sufferings. We see him telling stories that open people's imaginations. We see him healing the sick, forgiving the sinner, praying, taking time for himself, forming community, connecting people to their callings, and sharing his food as though he'd never run out. The world's logic would have told Jesus to back down, change course, consider the costs. 
But Jesus centered himself in the radical notion that God is a God who can only show unending grace and mercy toward us, and that all existence is an undeserved and good gift from God, and that this world, broken as it is, is still teeming with wonder and delight. So Jesus understood that no part of our lives is off-limits to discover God at work. And Jesus knew that the only response to this kind of God is to join God in that same kind of work, being gracious and merciful to all regardless of the consequences. Jesus had faith that the abundant love of God is stronger than the scarcity-based logic of this world. And in his resurrection, God proved that he was right. That resurrection, it's not just for Jesus. It's for us too, and not just after we die. It's here and now. But I will say this. Resurrection logic is always illogical to us as long as we cling to power and control. Our clenched fists can neither give nor receive God's grace. The hope of the resurrection appears when we see ourselves not as entitled earners who have outworked everyone else and deserve this grace, but as those who have tried and failed, or maybe those who didn't try at all, those who don't have clenched fists, but who have come up empty-handed. If you want the most bang for your buck out of Christianity, don't come to God like a first-hour worker with sensibilities and strengths and places you've succeeded. If you want resurrection, look for God showing up in your 11th hour needs. The places where you've failed and fallen short, the places where you're confused and frustrated, the places that still hurt. God will meet you there. God will stay with you there until what was last becomes first, until life sprouts forth from what once was dead, until abundant grace appears like a full day's wages after only an hour's work. That's what resurrection looks like. Amen.